You create your life with the stories you tell yourself. Want more fun, love, and money? Then write your new story and live into it. Louis DiBianco's podcast, Change Your Story, Change Your Life, shows you how to discover your empowering story. You'll meet many successful people who have created magnificent lives, even when the odds were stacked against them. Plus, you'll learn the secrets of great storytelling that can explode your business. And now, here is your host, Louis DiBianco. It ain't how hard you hit, it's how hard you can get hit and keep moving forward. It's about how much you can take and keep moving forward. That's how winning is done. Those words were spoken by none other than Rocky Balboa. Hey, hello, storytellers, and welcome to another episode of Change Your Story, Change Your Life. I'm your host, Louis DiBianco. We're fortunate that our host, Audible, is enriching lives. They are offering you, our storytellers, a free audiobook download of your choice, plus a one-month free trial of all of Audible service, and you get to choose from more than 180,000 titles. Simply go to www.audibletrial.com forward slash story power and take advantage of this wonderful gift. Remember that this show is enriched by our dialogue with you. So keep your comments and inspired thoughts coming. Send them to Lewis, L-O-U-I-S, at changeyourstorypodcast.com. Today's guest has taken some hard blows from life. And yes, she has always gotten up and kept moving forward. She studied journalism, became a newscast producer, and with determination and focus, she realized her dream of becoming a news TV anchor. She's also worked in media relations and PR for a public affairs agency in Chicago. And she has been a corporate communications specialist. Today, she is passionate about her role with an organization called WeGo, where she inspires people with a message of hope and courage. I'm excited and honored to introduce Natalie Hayden to our show. Natalie, welcome to Change Your Story, Change Your Life. Thanks so much for the warm introduction. I really appreciate it. Like I tell my guests, I may type the introduction, but you have written it. Well, thank you. (laughs) So Natalie, where were you born? So I was born in Skokie, Illinois, which is a suburb right outside of Chicago. It's only about 15 minutes from downtown. And uh, did you come from a big family? Yes, I think that's an understatement. I am Greek and Italian, so you can imagine um, a big fat Greek wedding, the movie. Um, I have lots of cousins, lots of aunts and uncles. We're loud. We get together all of the time, and we're very, very close. And I'm the oldest of three. I have two brothers. Okay. And who would you say influenced you the most when you were, you know, when you were growing up? Sure. I'd say growing up, my parents were my main role models, along with my godmother, that's Nuna in Greek. Uh, Her and her family lived four doors down the street from my family, so I saw them every day. And my cousin Bill was actually born with a hypoplastic left ventricle, which is basically half a heart. 
and this was in the 80s, and I was only five years old at the time, and he ended up being the eighth newborn transplant in the United States and the fourth in the Midwest, and we grew up four doors down the street, so I saw right before my eyes at a young age the value of good health. Hmm. Wow. So I would say that that experience, besides the um, direct influence of your uh, other family members, was a powerful influence on you. It sure was. He's more like a brother to me these days. And since then, he's had a heart and kidney transplant, and he's 28 years old, and he's a motivational speaker that travels around the United States. So he inspires me on a daily basis. Wow, good for him. Mm-hmm. Now, did you have a childhood dream of what you wanted to be when you grew up? Yeah, um, actually, as a child, I always loved being the center of attention. I loved to write and talk on camera. And my aunts would always call me Brenda Starr. And that's after a cartoon character, actually, that was a news reporter. That's right. That's right. Let me see. <laughs> I remember that character. Uh, what what was the uh, what was the cart what was the cartoon? Do you remember? I don't know the name offhand. They still call me Brenda every now and then just because it's kind of stuck with me as my nickname through the years. <laughs> I'm going to have to look it up after on, on Google because I do yeah, remember that. <laughs> you know, and uh, we share something. I also loved being the center of attention. <laughs> mm -hmm. I would always tattletale and tell all my aunts and my family, you know, what was going on downstairs with my cousins. So I'd be able to recap a situation or a story pretty easily. Oh, wow. So, well, and actually, it does seem that your career choices kind of fell in line with that. And we'll get to that in a moment. What, <laughs> what attracted you to journalism? Well, I was attracted to journalism for a number of reasons. Writing always came easy to me, whether it was writing a paper for school or doing creative writing. I was editor-in-chief of my high school newspaper, and I also wrote for a Chicago suburban newspaper during that time. And I knew from freshman year of high school, I wanted to major in journalism. I had a fantastic teacher that truly guided me all four years and served as an incredible mentor. Um, her name is Mrs. Pate. And I also just love getting to interact with people and tell stories because um, you can really change somebody's life and really inspire and shed light on, on stories um, just by, by digging deep and getting to know people in the community. Well, you just said the magic words for me that you can impact people's lives, you know, with stories. Mm -hmm. And that's exactly why I have this particular show. Absolutely. Now, I know that you got work in that field. Mm -hmm. But at first, it was a bit frustrating because you had a dream to become an on camera person. And that's mm -hmm. not what you were doing. So can you talk about how you achieved your goal to become yes. an on camera reporter? Yeah, it was a long journey. My uh, first two years of college at Marquette University in Milwaukee, Wisconsin, I focused on newspaper and magazine writing. And it wasn't actually until winter of my sophomore year that I came across an interesting opportunity. My mom needed spinal fusion surgery, and I was in the waiting room of the hospital while she was in surgery. And we came to find out that the surgeon's daughter was an executive producer for CBS Chicago. And my aunts, being bubbly and loud, told the surgeons that I should be on television. And he gave me her contact information. I reached out, and I landed an internship at the CBS station downtown. And that was the summer of 2003. And from that point forward, I caught the television bug. I still loved writing, but I also loved telling my story on camera. And it was at that point that I made a complete transition into broadcast. And I joined Marquette TV and worked as a TV anchor, producer, and reporter. And by my senior year, I was assistant news director of the station. 
And I kept my internship at CBS Chicago for two years and helped out anytime I was home. And it was a lot of work. I had to take the, the 7 a.m. train and the 5.30 p.m. train five days a week. There was no compensation but the experience and the connections I was able to make were invaluable to me. And after graduating from college in 2005, I had sent out about 200 VHS tapes, VHS at the time, <laughs> out to stations across the United States ready to pick up and move to start my career at a TV affiliate as a general assignment reporter. Wow. That is an exciting story. <laughs> and I find it interesting. And so will our storytellers when they find out that uh, your work is related to to health and that you got that start when uh, a member of your family was struggling with a health issue. Mm -hmm. And um, I don't believe there are any accidents. What I don't were, either. I always say I don't believe in happenstance. That's right. What was the personal challenge that you struggled with at this time and you were keeping it a secret? Unfortunately, a couple weeks after college graduation in May 2005, I started experiencing excruciating stomach pains anytime I ate any food or drank anything. I was very weak and fatigued and started losing weight, and I was getting fevers that reached 104 degrees. I was pretty miserable and desperate to find answers, and I got my answer on July 23rd, 2005. I went to the ER, and I was diagnosed with Crohn's disease. Um, receiving the diagnosis was like a ton of bricks crashing in on me. For those who don't know what Crohn's disease is, it's an inflammatory bowel disease. So basically my small intestine and my large intestine get inflamed and they affect my digestion. But with Crohn's disease, it can affect you anywhere from your mouth to your anus and it can skip different parts of your body. So it's very difficult to treat and manage and it affects each person differently. So there's not one cure or one magic diet or one pill or one injection that works. Um, it's a case-by-case -case basis, and you end up having flare-ups. It's a chronic disease, so there's no cure for it, and you battle it from the day you're diagnosed until the day you die. So you can imagine how suffocating it felt to only be 21 years old and to be told you have a lifelong chronic illness and know that for the rest of your life you're going to be on medication and have to face this and make this, you know, you're basically your new life story. Now, how did you keep that a secret and uh, put on a happy face at work? Uh, it was a lot easier said than done. Um, I, at that point, when I got my first television job, it was only two and a half months into diagnosis. So I was on 22 pills a day. I was on a lot of steroids and it was affecting the way my face looked and I was putting on weight from the medication. Uh, very self-conscious. I didn't want to be on camera. So lucky for me, my first TV job, I was a producer. So I produced a 6 and 10 p.m. newscast behind the scenes. And I was able to really fine-tune my writing. And I kept telling my boss, you know, someday I really want to be on camera. And luckily, 10 months into that gig, I was promoted to nightside reporter. And I was able to start reporting on the news on camera. And after five months, I was picked up by another ABC station in Wisconsin. And I started anchoring the morning show, Wake Up Wisconsin. What I find interesting, you said... You were gaining weight and you were didn't want to be on camera, and yet no. you went on camera. <laughs> So, yes. Luckily, um, once I was able to get my disease under control, I wasn't hospitalized for three years. So I did have some time where I felt better and I was in more of a remission state. So when I was a reporter, I looked more like myself. When I first started at this station is when my cheeks were puffy and I had that, that moon face that goes along with taking prednisone, the steroid. But, you know, I'm still not 100% clear on how you managed to keep it a secret from your employers for a long time. 
Sure. So what I've done at all of my jobs is when I interview, I never bring up Crohn's disease. Um, and now it's it's more of uh, something that goes along with my name. So it's not a secret anymore now that I've made it public. So I'm sure that I would never be able to do this again in the future. But until 2014, I never shared my story publicly. Um, so what I would do is I would do my interview, I would land the job. And then up until there was an issue where I had a flare up or I needed to stay home from work, or I was hospitalized, I never brought it up to anybody. And I would just fight it in silence every day. And then as I got close to people and coworkers, I would tell them my story because there were times at my first television station at all my stations I worked at where I couldn't even stand up straight walking into the studio or I needed somebody to to help me walk or get me water and people witnessed all of these moments and they were all so supportive and lifted me up in those times and all of my bosses that I've ever worked for most of them didn't even make me take sick time when I was out for weeks at a time in the hospital and those are moments and memories you don't forget and you really cherish people that can understand what it's like to live with a chronic illness even if they don't. Mm. I wonder now, what was your self-talk like as you were being assaulted by this illness? Sure. That's a good word for it. Uh, well, when it comes to self-talk, my first year with the disease, I'm not sure I even did this. I was so overwhelmed and felt so sickly. I was just trying to come to terms with the diagnosis and what this meant for my future. I wasn't sure if I'd ever be able to be a news reporter or a TV anchor. I wasn't sure if I'd ever be able to find a man who would want to marry me. I wasn't sure if I'd ever be a mom. So I felt like I had a scarlet letter on my chest that was invisible that only I knew about. And as the years went on, now I've had the disease for over 12 years. I definitely find self-talk to be helpful. I find myself doing it all the time. I've I've been through the bad times, the hospitalization, surgery, so I know how to calm myself down now, and I know what I need to think about. It's all about perspective, and I have several inspirational family members and friends who inspire me to keep my head up. Thinking of their courage and their bravery keeps me going. That's absolutely wonderful. You, you just described the power of positive self-talk, but the, the truth is we always have some self-talk going on, so... What I would love to know is if you recall any of that negative self-talk that may have been, um, it was born of fear, was born of a sense of, oh my God, am I going to make it? Do you remember mm -hmm. what that self-talk was like? Yes, I remember the, the initial week in, or two of my diagnosis. You know, I had to do a colonoscopy. I'm 21 years old. I'm in a flare-up state, and I was in so much pain taking that prep and going through that test. I was rocking on the bathroom toilet, listening to music back and forth, and just throwing up on the ground. I mean, it was a dramatic situation, and I was just thinking, how am I going to go on? How am I going to get through this? Why is this happening to me? I went from being perfectly healthy, I never even had an earache my whole life, um, to having this disease that was was just attacking my body. So I definitely went through some moments of thinking, you know, I, I can't believe this is happening to me. This is everything I am. This is everything I'm going to be. I always tell people the diagnosis is the hardest part because you truly feel like it's your identity. Whereas as the years go on and you heal and you get educated and you spread awareness and you feel empowered by the illness, it actually transforms you into a completely different person. I say it's an enemy, but it's also an ally for me. Yeah, I, I hear you. Do you recall if there was a specific pivotal event that turned your fearful self-talk into more positive and courageous self-talk? 
Ooh, that's a good one. Um, I would really say those first, you know, five years were pretty difficult. In 2009, when my cousin Bill that I talked about earlier um, needed a heart and a kidney and he was only 20 years old and I had to keep driving from Wisconsin all the way to downtown Chicago to be there with him in the hospital every step of the way and just seeing him fight for his life. He received those organs with one week to live and I'll never forget those moments and seeing how close he was to his deathbed. And I just kept telling myself, what I'm fighting, it is a chronic illness. It's no fun. It's no walk in the park, but it's not a terminal illness. And I constantly come across people and stories through my life that I constantly say I can relate to them and I can empathize, but I do not have it as bad as those people. You know, a lot of people have it way better than me, but a lot have it way worse. That's great that you had the strength and the courage to find that particular language for yourself because mm -hmm. it's uh it without takes it, time <laughs> oh yeah definitely does it takes um, a lot more than time mm -hmm. so when and why did you decide to leave the news business this was a very difficult decision for me i ultimately decided to leave the news business because of my personal life i'd been in a long distance relationship with my now husband for over a year and my focus was on getting married to him and for us to start a family and that was my priority. And it was very difficult for me to give up my TV life for love, but I knew I had to make him and us our priority. And the sleep deprivation and the lifestyle of TV wasn't helping my disease any either. I was a morning news anchor for seven years, so that entailed getting up at 2.30 in the morning, five days a week. So I was barely even getting five hours of sleep a night for that entire period of time. And on October 31st, 2014, so Halloween, I did my final morning show. I moved to St. Louis, and I started working in corporate communications for a natural gas utility. And I had opportunities arise at two of the television stations here in St. Louis. But between the crazy hours and the low pay, I just couldn't make that sacrifice, even though it's a line of work I'm cut out to do and I love the most. I just knew when they would tell me, you know, you're taking this for the job, not the hours or the days you're working. And I said, well, I can't. I can't work though just random days a week. You know, now I have a husband and I want a family and that's what's most important to me. That's great. You had your priorities straight. Mm -hmm. Now, you didn't let your condition defeat you. Now, we touched a bit on this, mm -hmm. but is there anything else you can tell us about how things mm -hmm. that you did to help you triumph? Mm -hmm. Sure. Living with a chronic illness, you know, it's all about a mindset, which is what we've been talking about. And if you're going to think, woe is me and stay on the couch every single day, you're in pain. Being sick is a self-fulfilling prophecy, in my opinion. If I stayed home or canceled plans every single time I wasn't feeling well, I would have no life. And of course, you know, living with Crohn's disease is no walk in the park. It's extremely taxing and debilitating. But while many have it better, I keep telling myself, you know, people would give, there's so many people that would give anything to be in my shoes. And I just think that it's all just coming to a point in your life where you realize, you know, this, this is part of me, but it's not all of me. That, that's a big one. That is really important. People should be reminding themselves of that every mm -hmm. single day. You know, mm -hmm. I, I do a guided meditation um, mm -hmm. through, um, it's a program called Headspace. And, and one of the things that powerful reminder every day is, remember, you are not your thoughts. You may mm -hmm. think you are, but you are not your thoughts. And you are not your feelings. Your thoughts mm -hmm. are stories that trigger a set of feelings. But when you can remind yourself that you mm 
whatever the essence of you is, is beyond thought, mm -hmm. you can go to that place of calm inside. And mm -hmm. it's, it's, when you practice it, it's amazing what begins to happen, how your perspective begins to shift. So you were, in a way, practicing that kind of thing. Yes, now, and meditation is really something that people with inflammatory bowel disease lean on because stress can be a big trigger for the disease. Yeah, you know, when you were talking about that grueling schedule of yours, uh -huh. I was wondering how much it may have contributed to, you know, making the condition even more intense. Mm -hmm. Yes, I definitely actually got a doctor's note um, to get out of one of my television contracts. That's how bad it got at one point. <laughs> mm. Now, I wonder, did you at any point seek out any formal personal development training, like uh, either seminars or CDs or books, you know, by gurus like Tony Robbins and others like mm -hmm. that? Did you? I I've read a lot of books about Crohn's. I find them to be really informative. I actually have one on my nightstand as we speak. It's just called Book for Crohn's, and it's by the Crohn's community for the Crohn's community. And I feel that there are so many different books out there. There's uh, Go Your Crohn's Way, written by people that live with the disease, that understand it, and that really speak to you. And it is definitely one of my goals in the future to write a book someday. And that's a, bit, a pretty big goal, I know. But, you know, with my love for writing, I that's one of my aspirations. But what about... Uh, personal development that inspires people that is not related directly to the uh, your particular condition? Um, I have been to some TED Talks, and I find them to be really informative and really interesting when you can hear people speak on different subjects, and it's empowering to hear people's stories and viewpoints. But I haven't actually gone out and sought that information by myself. I probably should. I'm sure it would help me a great deal. <laughs> Can I recommend one to you that you could probably sure. be, you could probably begin to find it right away after this uh, interview. You can find it on YouTube. The man's name is Les Brown, uh -huh. and uh, just look for his signature talk, which is "It ain't over till I win." I like the sound of that. I'll have to check it out. It's so powerful, and it's. Uh, it's not just rah-rah. This is um, something that he developed out of his own really difficult journey, his own personal story of triumph over amazing adversity. It's a oh, very, very, very powerful, powerful speech. I have it, and every once in a while I go back and listen to it again, and then I'm ready to come back with new energy into the battle every single day. Sounds like a good way to rejuvenate yourself. Absolutely. So now tell us about your inspiring blog. Sure. So when I left the news business in 2014, I shared my story on social media and received so much support. It took me nine and a half years to speak up and not be silent about my battle. And it was actually impeccable timing because in 2015, I had multiple bowel obstructions that landed me in the hospital. And I ended up getting 18 inches of my intestine removed with bowel resection surgery. And having that support from friends, family members, and strangers really lifted my spirits and helped me fight through those dark days. And since I've always loved writing, I thought, you know what, I should really start a blog and have it go, uh, go live on my diagnosis anniversary, which was July 23rd. So on July 23rd, 2016, so about a year ago, 
couple weeks ago, I released Lights, Camera, Crohn's, an unobstructed view. It's lightscamerachrones.com, and I share fresh content every Monday, and I found it to be incredibly cathartic to offer hope and inspire others with not only IBD, but all types of chronic illness. I love that name. It's Lights, <laughs> Camera, Crohn's. Yes. <laughs> fantastic, fantastic. Thank so, you. Now, what was the empowering program that you discovered on your journey? Sure. So I delivered my son, Reed, on March 29th. So he's a little over four months old. And the weeks leading up, I started thinking about the possibility of doing freelance work um, to help contribute to my family's financial health. And I randomly came across a website for WeGo Health. Now, they're a digital healthcare company that launched a platform back in January that connects those battling complex chronic illness to clients. Basically, it's a way for people like me to serve as hybrid consultants, and I get to utilize my professional background of media and journalism and PR and put that to work with my patient experience. Wow. So that's beautiful because now you've got the, the, um, the expertise of your mm -hmm. profession married to something that you have a passionate um, purpose about or par purpose exactly. for. You know, exactly. You, so you're marrying the career with um, uh, a passionate vision, if you like. Mm -hmm. And having the flexibility to work from home. So many people with chronic illness, you know, you never know what tomorrow is going to bring. You never know what the next hour is going to bring. So just having that peace of mind that you make your own hours and you make your own time each day is very helpful. Now, the organization is called WeGo, W-E-G-O. Do those, yeah. what do those letters stand for? Um, I'm not quite sure what they stand for, but we go by WeGo Health. Um, so that's the whole name together. And then the platform is the patient expert platform. So you can sign up on there. And if you have a chronic illness or a family member does, and you have professional background, I say, give it a shot because it opens up so many opportunities and so many avenues to connect with healthcare companies and different companies looking for market research and insight, um, that you have and that you possess and it's valuable and they recognize that. Now, it's important uh, to clarify for people, this is not a volunteer organization. You, no. you, get, you, you get paid to do this kind of work, yes? Yes, you do. You get compensated very well for your insight because they recognize that, you know, you, it's one thing to be able to offer your professional skills, but at the same time, you have gone through so much with your illness, and they see that, that you've gone through this journey. It hasn't been an easy one, and they don't expect to just take all of that that valuable information for free, they recognize how valuable it is. And they've taught me that because for years leading up, I never dreamed that I'd be getting paid for everything I've gone through and all the expertise I've garnered through the years. So it's empowering to know that people recognize that what you've gone through hasn't been easy and that you do have, you know, some some secret information, if you will, because you have this ability to connect with people in your community through your blog, through your social networks, and you have that credibility. So if they're looking to connect with women with Crohn's, they're going to trust me reaching out rather than a drug company or a market research group. They'd rather speak with me initially. So I'm kind of that segue for, for different things. That's one of the projects you can do. That is wonderful. What mm -hmm. I want to say now to my listeners, my storytellers, if any of you have a challenge in your life, a health challenge that has led you to a story that's not very empowering and that creates and causes a lot of pain, 
listen carefully to what Natalie is sharing because there is an avenue for you to become empowered and make a contribution at the same time. This is really, really wonderful. How has your battle with Crohn's made you a better person? That's a big question. You know, it's made me stronger. It's opened my eyes to how amazing just an average feel-good day is when there's no pain. I never take my health for granted now. I'm able to connect with those going through difficult times so much better. So if somebody's dealing with a health problem or their loved one's sick, I find that people come to me because they understand that I get it. I get what it's like to wake up and not know what the next hour is going to bring in your life. And I've learned to listen to my body better and I can tell what I need to slow down or take a step back. Um, it's changed my perspective on everything. While the disease can be thought of as just a terrible thing, it's all in that mindset that I've spoken of. And, you know, it, it's it's made me completely different. I used to be scared of just getting my blood drawn, and now I give myself an injection in my leg every other week that's extremely painful. And I've been doing it for nine years. And it's just you see how you transform as a person. And I always tell myself and tell others that are going through something difficult, and I say God gives his toughest lessons to his greatest teachers. And I really believe that. Wow, I love that. I love that. That's a beautiful statement. Mm -hmm. How has this journey affected your marriage? Well, this is a big question too, because so many people, when they're diagnosed with a chronic illness, they wonder, you know, will I ever find somebody that's willing to be there for me? And finding my husband, Bobby, and going through hospitalizations with him, um, when we'd only been dating six months, allowed me to see what a heart of gold he has and that he's able to be more than willing to be my rock. He's a caretaker every minute of the day that I need him. And I always feel that with each setback and every flare up and hospitalization, it actually brings us closer uh, he's so patient with me, and he knows exactly how to calm me down and be there when I'm too weak to stand on my own. Chronic illness really sheds light on people's characters. I always say it gives us superpowers because it takes a special person, and you quickly see which friends fade to the background and which you know come to the front lines when you really need them. And that's what goes with a caretaker and a spouse, and Bobby does everything and more that I could ever want um, in a husband and as a caretaker. That's very beautiful. What does Bobby do? Bobby uh, works for a company called Emerson, and he does um, market research, and he's also an engineer by trade. Okay. <laughs> I want to come back for a moment to the previous question when I had asked you about becoming a better person. Is it safe? To, I, I heard you say that one of the things that it gave you, is give your battle gave you, was a deeper sense of gratitude, yes? Mm-hmm. And Definitely. what about... What about how it's, uh, would you say it's made you more compassionate, given you a deeper sense of yes. empathy for others? Yes, definitely. When I hear somebody is in the hospital, no matter what they're going through or that they've been diagnosed with a lifelong condition, I'm one of the first people to say, look, if you need to, and I might not even know them on social media, it might just be a stranger to me. I'll say, you know, let's video chat on Facebook. I just talked with the girl in Spain last week. I had just started talking to her because she reached out from my blog. She'd just been diagnosed with Crohn's, 24 years old. She felt like her life was ending and she, she video chatted me from a hospital bed in Spain and we instantly connected. And just 
talking to people all over the world that are going through difficult days and just giving them some positive insight, it does my heart good to know that I can make a difference. And at the end of the day, when I go to bed, I can think, you know, I made somebody feel comfortable today. I made, I ease somebody's fear. I let them know that I'm there for them. And, and one of my favorite things I always say to people is keep swimming. When my husband was, when my cousin was waiting for his heart and his kidney, there's a song called Swim by Jack's Mannequin. And the lead singer was battling cancer at the time. And it's our family's theme song when the going gets tough. And I always tell people to keep swimming. We write it on the dry erase board in the hospital rooms. And I feel that those two words are very impactful. Hmm. You just made me think again of the opening quote from uh, Rocky Balboa. Yes. You know? <laughs> not how hard you can hit, but how you deal with the blows that you receive. And, you know, just keep going forward. Yeah. If you if you could wave a magic wand and change no, we're gonna come to that question next. If you could change mm -hmm. any of the events of your past, mm -hmm. would you? And what would they be? I'm not sure I would really change anything. I believe every experience and person we come across on our journey is meant to be and for a reason. So it's hard for me to think of my life BC or before Crohn's. Um, maybe just to live in those moments again without a care in the world, not thinking or worrying about medicine or when my body was going to fail me next. Um, and just that feeling of invincibility that I lost at age 21. Well, I don't know if you've lost it, Natalie, because... You sound pretty strong now, so yeah. uh, it, it sounds to me like your attitude is okay. It's been tough, but it's not mm -hmm. going to take. It's not going to take me out of the game. It's not. And one thing I also tell people is, you know, with flare-ups, we've all been hospitalized. We've dealt with these hard moments. But what happens each time you get better, you rise up, you get out of that hospital, you, re you regain that strength. So now if it happens to me, it's happened to me so many times, I know what the outcome's going to be. And I just tell myself that from the start. It's not my first rodeo. Even just delivering my son, getting a C-section was a walk in the park. They did my epidural and I said, wow, this hurts less than the injection I give myself every other week on my couch. So I mean, it sets the bar pretty high for your pain tolerance and what you're just used to in general. Wow. You know, it was, it was interesting when I first asked you if you could change any of the events of your past. You didn't automatically say, oh, yeah, I would definitely, you know, uh, change this or that and not want to go mm -hmm. through that. Because what it tells me is that you've come to a place of strength where mm -hmm. you're not living in regret. Definitely not. That is wonderful. You're not living in regret. Now, if you could wave a magic wand and change mm -hmm. one thing in the world, what would that be? That is a really tough question. Um, I think probably kids getting terminal illness or any health matter. You know, now that I'm a mom, I have a different perspective than I used to have on that prior to having kids myself. Um, because I recently connected with this family in Michigan out of nowhere, their four-year-old daughter, Penelope, um, came down with severe Crohn's and she's been in the hospital for weeks on end and she's going through so much. She's on like seven medicines a day and watching a four-year-old go through what I'm battling just tears my heart out. And I just can't imagine, you know, watching your child go through chemo, watching your child in the NICU. I mean, those are really helpless moments that I wish no parent would have to go through that feeling knowing that parents know, you know, I'm going to outlive my child. That's just not supposed to be how it goes. Um, and also just the hate in the world. I wish that people didn't have ill will towards one another and that there could be more love. And of course, that's, 
you know, a happy feeling and it's something that we all strive for, but is it really possible? Probably not. But it's just with, with everything going on in the social climate these days, it's disheartening at times to, to see and hear what's going on in media and everything else. You know, it's interesting that when I first asked the question, your immediate response was, wow, that, that's kind of hard. But then you immediately volunteered something with great passion. So it wasn't that hard. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And uh, what you said was very, very strong. Mm -hmm. Tell us a bit about, you're a very proud mother. Tell us a bit about yeah. your about your son, your son's Reed. Yes, my son is Reed. Uh, he's four and a half months old. He was born in March. And um, he's very special to me. Obviously, you know, every child is to the parent. But when I was pregnant with Reed, all nine months I was in remission. And I was never in remission prior to that um, in a way where anytime I ate any food or I would be stressed or I knew my disease would be acting up, um, I was completely like a normal, healthy person those nine months. And I always used to think of the song um, by this country group. And I'm not a big country fan, but I do like the song by Florida Georgia Line. And the line was, you're the healing hands where I used to hurt. Um, so that line really got me through my pregnancy and made me think of my son. And, um, you know, he's my buddy. He's my best friend. I'm with him every second of the day. And when I'm having a bad Crohn's day, I just look at his face and he inspires me to be strong. When I give my injection now, I used to look at pictures of family members or watch TV while I was doing my shot every other Monday. Now I have my husband stand in front of me with Reed and I just look in Reed's eyes. And this past Monday was extra special. He just stared at me with this intent look and very serious look while I was doing my shot. And the minute I was done with it, he just smiled and his whole face lit up and you know it takes my pain away when i look at him wow that is powerful thank mm -hmm. you for sharing that sure and um reed right now is <laughs> on his swing in the next room yes he is yeah <laughs> because because when we began the podcast reed was so excited that he wanted to be part of it and you know have his own um, he wanted to express himself, and we we said to him, "Reed, uh, you're going to have your own podcast, but right now it's mom's time." Yes, <laughs> that, that is great. I love that too because what you just described, you know, besides it being a, a moment that people will respond by feeling, "Oh, how cute!" It's very mm -hmm. strong because what it tells me is that on an intuitive level. He's connected to you and he knows mm -hmm. that you're going through something. And he knows, he knew at that moment that you had completed this painful um, injection and you mm -hmm. were feeling better. Yes, it is something. I, you know, I don't just have myself to fight for now. I have to fight for him and my husband. I don't want to be in the hospital when he can't come visit me. So I just keep telling myself I have to do everything possible to stay out of the hospital and stay healthy until he's at least a little boy where he can walk into the hospital on his own. But I don't want him going into the hospital anytime soon. He sounds like a really, really wonderful child. You know, before when you mentioned that song and that line, what was the, the name of the song itself? Um, I think it's my church, but I can look it up real quick for you. Um, I haven't heard it in a long time, actually. <laughs> you said it's a country song, right? Yeah. The The line was, you're the healing hands where I used to hurt. Oh, you know what it's called? It's called Holy. It just came to me. <laughs> 
So it's holy and it's spelled out H period, O period, L period, Y period. Um, and that song is my song for my son that I listened to when I was pregnant. And who sings it? Florida Georgia Line. Florida Georgia Line. Where do you see yourself in five years, Natalie? Well, five years from now, um, I hope to have two or three children, God willing. Um, I'm still navigating being a new mom right now, of course, since Reed's only four months old, but I, I hope to continue to grow our family. Um, I hope to continue to be a patient advocate and offer hope to others. And I'm hoping, as I said, to possibly write a book one day and travel and speak and share my insights and life with chronic illness to help others. Um, I feel that the reason I was a journalist and the reason I had that TV background and that experience, it brought me to this place. It brought me to this this comfort level of talking on camera and being interviewed and, and being a voice for the people who are suffering in silence or that are too shy to share their, to share their story. So I feel that I have a mission and I'm hoping to fulfill it. Fantastic. I can hear the passion in your voice. <laughs> what is your favorite book? I have a lot of favorite books. I'd say growing up and just through life, I always loved The Great Gatsby by F. Scott Fitzgerald. Um, that's one of my favorite classic stories, I'd probably say. Um, another one of my favorite books is actually written by my cousin that had the heart transplants, and he journaled from the hospital bed for his entire weight for his heart and his kidney. And it's a raw, very raw story that takes you on a journey of what it's like through the eyes of a transplant recipient and what it's like to receive that gift of life and those organs and what it means to be a donor family and be a recipient family. And the book's entitled Swim, A Memoir of Survival by Bill Kuhn. And if you ever wonder, you know, should I be an organ donor? If you're on the fence about it, you should really read this story. When Bill's life was saved 28 years ago, it was actually from a donor in Canada um, and it was a young man and his wife died in child labor and he decided to donate all of his wife's organs and his baby girl's organs to complete strangers. And if it weren't for that man, my cousin wouldn't be here today. And he went in his darkest moment of his life and was able to bring life to others. And nowadays they don't do organ donation from Canada to the United States. But back then in the eighties they did. And we always think about that family up in Canada and what they mean to our family. How do you spell your cousin's name? Sure. It's Bill B I L L Coon C O O N. Swim, a memoir of survival. Yes. And do you know what part of Canada this uh, donor came from? That is a good question. I want to say Ontario, but I could be wrong. Don't quote me on that. I live in the province of Ontario in the city of Toronto. That's wow. very, very possible. But then again, yeah. Canada is a very big country. Yes, it is. <laughs> do you have a favorite quote? I have two quotes that I really love. Um, the first is by Mother Teresa. And it is, life is an opportunity, benefit, benefit from it. Life is beauty, admire it. Life is bliss, taste it. Life is a dream, realize it. Life is a challenge, meet it. Life is a duty, complete it. Life is a game, play it. Life is a promise, fulfill it. Life is sorrow, overcome it. Life is a song, sing it. Life is a struggle, accept it. Life is a tragedy, confront it. Life is an adventure, dare it. Life is luck, make it. Life is too precious, do not destroy it. Life is life, fight for it. 
That's my first favorite one. <laughs> wow, it's actually more. It's actually more like a short poem. Yes, it's just it's, always been inspiring to me. Mother, um, the other has to do. Yeah, that was, yeah that's uh, my mother Teresa. Mother Teresa, okay. Yes, and the other one is um, I'm not sure who it's from, but I've just always loved the words, and it's watch your thoughts for they become words. Choose your words for they become actions. Understand your actions for they become habits. Study your habits, for they will become your character. Develop your character, for it becomes your destiny. And I do think that once you have a chronic illness or you've gone through a difficult moment in life, you really stop and think before you talk because you never know how the words you say are going to impact somebody else and you think of them in a different light. I've heard that one uh, quite a few times in the world of personal development. I'm not certain who originated it, but I will check it out on Google. Uh, it sounds like something that uh, Jim Rohn would have said, but I'm not 100% sure if he was, uh, if they attribute that directly to him. Yeah, I'd be Do interested you, in seeing who said that. <laughs> yes, indeed. Do you have any final thoughts for our storytellers today? Something that you would like them to remember and mm -hmm. take with them into the world? I would just say thank you so much for listening and thank you for this opportunity and for connecting with me. And, and I, I do ask you to check out my blog if you're ever looking for something interesting to read or something insightful. I keep my stories very positive and uplifting. It's not a Debbie Downer blog. Um, it's lifecamerachrones.com. And just always remember that the things you take for granted, somebody else may be praying for. Mm, that's a very, very good one. And how can people contact you? Sure. I am all over social media. So um, on Instagram, I'm under Natalie Ann Hayden. That's my handle on there. On uh, Twitter, you can find me by my maiden name that I use in television. I kept that on there because a lot of people know me by my maiden name. Um, so that's Natalie Sparacio, and that's S is in Sam, P is in Peter, A-R-A-C-I-O. Um, that's Sicilian. Uh, my grandfather came over on the boat from Palermo. And um, on Facebook, my community page is Natalie A. Sparacio. Uh, you can find me anywhere on there. If you need anything, if you have any questions, if you have a family member that suffers from Crohn's or ulcerative colitis, do not hesitate to reach out. I respond to every single email I receive, every message I receive. It's not only powerful to, for me to tell you information. I also find it to be the best medicine for me to talk to you because it's a win-win. We can both help each other. You said that on Instagram, it's Natalie Ann Hayden. And yes. uh, is that Ann with an E at the end or no? Just Ann, A-N-N. -N. Mm -hmm. And on Facebook, it's Natalie A. Hayden. Uh, it's Natalie A. Sparacio. I know it gets confusing. Oh, <laughs> so Natalie, my, um, Natalie yeah. H. Sp okay. Sparaccio, right. Yes. So the Facebook page is um, my old television page. So a lot of my old viewers are on that page. So that's why I kept it Sparaccio. Now, what about your blog? Doesn't the blog have its yes. own URL? Yes. Yes, it does. So the blog is lightscamerachrones.com. And there's an email on there, uh, lightscamerachrones at gmail.com. Um, and you can contact me right through the blog. And that goes right to my personal Gmail account. And I write back to every email I receive. And I also love getting story ideas. By the way, um, for the benefit of our storytellers, could you spell the word Crohn's? 
Yes, and that's a good good point because there's even people that have the disease that spell it wrong. Um, so it's C R O H N S. Yeah, it's. I mean, it's not intuitive. Uh, it would not be <laughs> unlikely for somebody to spell it C R O N E S, right? Yes, a lot of people spell it different ways. Even people that have known me for years and know a lot about Crohn's, they still spell it incorrectly. <laughs> so Natalie's blog. Lights Camera Crohn's.com, and that's C R O H N S. I have thoroughly enjoyed this. You've uh, opened my world to uh, things that I'm not close to and not directly familiar with. And I know you've inspired our storytellers today. Thank you so much today for uh, thank you for everything you've given us. Of course. It was a great opportunity, and I'm thrilled that I got to be a part of your show. Thank you once again, storytellers, for joining us on another inspiring journey. People like Natalie are expanding my world. I trust that they're expanding yours, too. Now, pay this forward. Let people know that they can hear this podcast on iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play, TuneIn Radio, and at the website, changeyourstorypodcast.com. And of course, at the website, you all can download my gift to you, a free ebook called Storytelling Secrets for a Rich Life and Business. Remember that our host is Audible. You've heard mention of some wonderful books. Go to www.audibletrial.com forward slash story power. Choose your favorite book, audiobook, from more than 180,000 titles, and then download that book absolutely free and get one month trial absolutely free as well, of all of Audible's service. Let us know what you're getting from this show and what you'd like to hear going forward. Send your messages, your comments to Lewis, L-O-U-I-S, at changeyourstorypodcast.com. During the next week, think about the things that Natalie shared Remember her positive energy, her zest for life, and then look at your own life and ask, is there an area that I feel defeated in? Is there something that's weighing me down that doesn't have to if I choose a different path? And then begin to choose that path by asking, how can I change my story, and change my life. Tune in to the next episode of Louis DiBianco's podcast. Become unstoppable as you learn to change your story, change your life.